Welcome to the High Action Podcast. My name is John Story, and I'm joined with my cohorts from the New West Guitar Group, Harry Smith and Will Brom. And on today's episode, we are going to talk, discuss, play some Brazilian music and share with everybody what an amazing influence that this music from this corner of the world has had on us as jazz players. But before we do, I'd like to remind everybody this podcast is made possible by Radio Engineering, creator of audio solutions for recording studios and live stages from direct boxes to unique switchers and revamp devices. Visit more, uh, for, excuse me, visit radioengineering.com, radioeng.com for more information. Uh, so yeah, so Brazilian music, uh, you know, I tell you, it's something that coming from <laughs> Eastern Oregon would be a little bizarre to be like, in, you know, influenced by this stuff. But, you know, when you start learning jazz, right away, we learn about so many of the iconic Brazilian composers as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, the first and foremost to me is somebody like Antonio Carlos Jobim, right? And, you know, just curious to hear, like, Perry, uh, was Jobim one of the first artists that you got familiar with when you started diving into this, uh, this type of repertoire? Definitely. You know, I didn't grow up in eastern Oregon like you, John, huh. so I, I, I don't think uh, I was lucky enough to have bossa nova and samba playing in the Rainbow Cafe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> joke. This is a little inside joke. Pendleton, uh, yeah. 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 No... I can imagine that there wasn't a whole lot of Brazilian music happening, John, uh, where you grew up. Maybe you had to dig for it. But in the Bay Area, yeah, I mean, there was great music education all the time. And jazz and Brazilian music are pretty linked. You know, I, um, there's a long history of great jazz musicians like Stan Getz and others kind of crossing over into Brazilian music and um, being influenced by it. And I think harmonically, there's a lot of similarities that the two uh, styles of music really share. And so, yeah, it's been something that I think as a working guitar player, you really have to learn as well. Like, you know, you don't end up on too many casual gigs without playing Girl from Ipanema at least once (laughs) and figuring out, you know, how you can play a good bassa pattern, a good Mm -hmm. rhythm pattern on the guitar. So Mm -hmm. so definitely it it was a style of music that I learned early on when I started getting into jazz. Yeah, and you know, Will, when I met mm-hmm. you, you were so deep into world music too. I mean, yeah. your group at that time, Homanahe, and you know, you were, you know, days. bringing a lot of bringing a lot of world music into, into your own original mm-hmm. writing. I'm curious, was was uh, Brazilian music early on something that influenced you, or was it something that you kind of got into later as you dived into other styles of world music? I mean, I think it'd be hard to find someone that goes, oh, I don't like Brazilian music. Right. (laughs) I mean, I'm sure they're out there somewhere, but there's something about and I try to think about this. I think one of the reasons that Brazilian music is so appetizing to our ears, especially here in the States, is because a lot of the melodies are written around lyrics and the way the lyrics flow, you know, in Portuguese melodies just come out differently, like different syllables, different vowels. So like when I would hear that, I was like, whoa, what is that? And it just does. It sounds otherworldly because mm-hmm. it's not a melody like they can't take that away from me. Uh, if you look at a song like Fleur de Lis, it's like really syncopated and really repetitive. And it makes sense when you hear the lyrics. But oh, but then you don't speak Portuguese. You can't even 
understand the lyrics. It, it totally, I was enamored with it immediately. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, you know, just to play a little bit, like when I started off, you know, imitating the Jobim records, I think my first Jobim record was the tune, was the album Wave, which has the tune Wave on it. And it's got that beautiful um, Art Deco, or excuse me, um, Art Nouveau photo of the giraffe on the tundra that's all green it's very striking cover and i remember copying you know that like just that first guitar part and then as i got more and more into these tunes and you know we're discovering that they're in the real book and i'm like wow this tune is right there next to one of the other standards i'm learning so i started just discovering hey what's bossa nova How about you, Perry? What's a typical pattern that you play just as your stock pattern for bossa nova? Yeah, I think about it um, often because I still play that style a lot. Um, I like to get that bass movement going, the root to fifth, when possible. Um, and I guess this is the pattern from the Nelson Ferrara book that we all study. It's a great Brazilian guitar book that you can check out that really kind of lays out the detail of the, of the syncopated pattern. Um, but certainly... Trying to get that motion happening on the bottom. And then on the top, you're going to get something else. And one of the questions I always ask is how much I want to sustain the upper notes versus play them staccato. So, like, this is very sustained. sort of a typical pattern for a bossa nova uh, with mm -hmm. a samba you're kind of playing it essentially a little faster maybe a little bit more staccato parts like That's sort of the two fields that I find myself in mainly with Brazilian music are bossa mm -hmm. and samba. I know there's a lot yeah. of other distinctions, but that's sort of the main two that I'm involved with. Definitely. I think on today's episode, we should dive more into some of those technical aspects of the pattern. And, you know, you mentioned the Nelson Faria book, which is Faria, called right, yeah. The Brazilian Guitar Book, and it's published by Share Music Publication. It's available on Amazon excellent book every guitar player should go get it and that demo album disc that comes with it which is probably now downloadable is the grooviest thing i used to just drive around and listen to all the examples from that book because it is so groovy i have um, that book well what's what's your standard yeah. uh, pocket that you play well i'm gonna use a pick with mine because realistically i basically always use a pick especially if i'm on a gig or something And I lose a little bit of that nuanced articulation like that Perry was doing with his fingers. Um, but I like to, like Perry mentioned, really experiment with sustained versus short because that adds all the groove. That, that 
turns the guitar into the rhythm section rather than a chord. It becomes, right. you know. Even if you take the chords out. But depending on your context, you don't want it to be too staccato. Yeah. You don't want it to be too percussive. Sometimes you want that guitar to be like that sort of sustained, mm -hmm. you know, rhythmic mm -hmm. pad underneath. You know, a lot of what this has reminded me of, do, do you remember um, when Antonio Carlos Jobim collaborated with Sinatra? And there's the famous video of them on the wicker seats and Sinatra's like, the style is bossa nova, the instrument is guitar, and the composer is Tom Jobim. And, you know, he's just sitting there and it's like, he couldn't, couldn't be more cool. And he's just, you know... pattern in the world you know mm -hmm. yeah playing apparently Ipanema in d flat by the way <laughs> right in d flat well and um john pisano told me that apparently <laughs> that session that one capital you know hooked it up for them yeah and they put joe beam down to play guitar on the session and he showed up not knowing how to play those voicings yet and so he said okay let me go practice this and like in a day he learned all those voicings and that was his first major session playing guitar Man, it's just just kind of a crazy. mind blowing guitar? thing to think about learning guitar in a week to play those voicings G guitar playing um, is like in the dna of just about every brazilian man i mean yeah it's the coolest yeah, exactly. thing about, about and pisano had some great stories about joe working with show beam and having joe beam correct some of the chord changes that were typical to what people were playing and he said oh actually play it this way it was just kind of cool to hear but yeah and you know joe beam is so we can't i mean we can't mm. not talk about tom joe beam antonio carlos joe beam for those of you who don't know who he was he, he rose to prominence in the late 50s because he helped score a movie called black orpheus mm -hmm. and when that movie came out there was a movement in brazil with film and dance and music that was really called new wave and the translation of the word new wave is bossa nova and Jobim was influenced by a lot of American jazz musicians. Um, and a lot of the artists and the art collective in Rio at the time were listening to American jazz musicians, people like Stan Getz, uh, even Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie. And so Brazilian musicians were trying to incorporate more jazz elements into their folk music with improvising. And, you know, this is, for me, I think the, the thing that really connects the dots you know, samba, traditional samba, which goes back centuries, and a lot of ways, the lineage with jazz music that goes back centuries, it's all related to dance and being mm -hmm. able to dance to things. Mm -hmm. And samba is a dance, and jazz music up until about the, the late swing era and the bebop era was also a dance music. And t so there's this continuum in the 50s and 60s of bossa nova kind of being a jazz music, but also... In addition, in addition to that, it was kind of the first kind of easy listening music. So in the hmm. 60s, you had people that would play bossa nova just kind of in the background. And what was else was going on in the 60s? Rock and roll, the Beatles, and there was kind of this contrast. So in America, popular radio at the time, which maybe only had three or four stations, that's the birth of the easy listening stage. And of course, you know, even people like Wes Montgomery, who recorded for A&M, would record bossa novas that were just basically the melodies to songs with a big orchestra behind them. And many people kind of consider that to be some of the first smooth jazz in a way, because it was just mm. instrumental 
versions of pop tunes with this bossa nova feel behind it. So it's interesting hearing all of us play this pattern. If somebody says play a bossa nova, first thing I think about is 4-4 four, four time. So I think about counting the song off in a 1, 2, 3, 4, 1, 2, 3, 4, 1, 2, 3, 4, 2, 3, 4, 1, 2, 3, 4, such as that. So bossa nova to me is a two-bar phrase. Samba music can be one bar, two bars, four bars, and a lot of time, I feel like samba's in cut time. So a one, a two, a one, 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 two, one, two, one, two. So to me, bossa nova, four, four, and and samba cut time uh, is, is how I've thought about a lot of those terms. And guitar is the instrument in the band next to whoever's playing various type of percussion instruments that might dictate the type of samba pattern that we play. But it is interesting because you ask guitar players to play bossa nova and everyone's going to have a little bit of a different yeah. take. Um, on it, you know, I one record that comes to mind that was recorded fairly recently was the Diana Krall. When I look in your eyes, John Pisano is playing nylon string guitar on that, and he plays the same kind of bossa nova pattern on all those tunes on that record. So I recommend guitarists go check that album out as a great example of bossa nova. In addition to the way Jobim played on albums like Wave and the 1974 album um, Elise and Tom, which there's Waters of March is on there and all of those. Do you guys have any records like that that you recommend uh, listeners go check out, Will? Well, um, something, an artist that's been huge for me is Luciana Souza. You know, um, even in college, I, I transcribed, I'm not remembering off the top of my head who was on this particular album, but the song that they performed called Samba Dalu, mm -hmm. which was, I think it was a seven string nylon, nylon string and her and all these interwoven voices. So I'd say listen to any Luciana Salza albums because that stuff is just some of the highest caliber, you know, and very demanding. It's basically kind of solo guitar with voice for a lot of it. Yeah. Perry, what about you, man? God, I don't know if I have a particular album uh, in mind, but you had mentioned the West Montgomery album Black Orpheus where he's basically just playing the melody. That was actually the very first West album I got, believe it or not. And it's funny because I didn't latch on to Wes right away as a result. I was kind of like, oh, this is cool, but I just want to listen to you know, George Benson and Joe Pass. Like, I didn't get it yet. I was still so young. Yeah. But then I started, um, obviously got into Wes. Uh, but there's also the composer Luis Bonfa, mm -hmm. um, who I think is instrumental in the composing for a lot of um, the songs from the movie Black Orpheus, which is sort of a round... The, the carnival that happens every year in, in Rio, right? That's sort of what that yes. movie is based around, the music comes from. Um, and there's that song he wrote, Samba de Orfeo, which has been always one of my favorites to play. So when we play a little bit, I might show that one. Uh, but yeah, that, that just going to the source and checking out that movie, Black Orpheus, yeah. Orfeo de Negro, is... is uh, it's beautiful. It. Yeah, that's a great idea. We should definitely go around the circle and play a tune that we like from this repertoire. Um, one I recommend students check out is Black Orpheus. So right. I'll just kind of play a little bit of a solo guitar version of it. And I mean, how can you not play it in A minor, right? You know, because it just fits on the guitar so easy, right? So
So that's a great tune to play, mm-hmm. um, Black Orpheus. It's in the real book, um, and there's some incorrect chord changes in there, so be sure to listen to the uh, the movie version, which nice. isn't hard. You can find it on YouTube even. You know. Yeah, that's a great, great tune, and one that everybody knows. Yeah, yeah. Will, why don't you play one? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to play Blue Bossa. Just kidding. Um, you know, a song that's always enchanted me, uh, written by D. Javon, is um, Fleur de Lis. And it's a really hard song, too. Um, I'm kind of giving a disclaimer. There's going to be some funky notes. But, like, some things about the, this genre and this song, the way the melody works, the odd bar phrases, and the way you kind of need that melody to keep the form. Like, sometimes when I'm... Soloing over the form, I'm like, wait a minute, did I just skip two bars? So. amazing song and again i you know, know some of the fingerings weren't quite happening but the the perpetual motion that that song has just like i could play that forever yeah. i really could that's a good one it's like the melodies almost come off the page it's and like it's, you can dance to those melodies and what's so beautiful the way these guys compose these songs these were for the masses like yeah. if you go to brazil like they know a lot of these songs you can hear like a hundred people at a concert sing along with these yeah. melodies it's pretty yeah. impressive you know well nowadays yeah, they feel choice, like Will. they feel like old songs you know to a lot of young brazilians right they feel like ancient songs that their grandparents listen to and stuff <laughs> uh yeah, yeah that's a javon piece right i used to play that yeah. song with a number of singers over the years um yeah we all worked with a lot of singers and brazilian music is sort of like a, a nice go-to in their repertoire you know they can learn a couple songs mm-hmm. in portuguese and that's an uh a way that we get into that world a little bit too um i'll play that uh samba de orfeo from luis bon, bonfi Bonfa. Is it Bonfa or Bonfi? So in the real book, they misspelled his name as Bonfi, but it's actually Bonfa. Yeah. Uh, screw it. it, I'll just play Blue Bossa then. Uh, by Kenny Dorham. Yeah. <laughs> Great Brazilian trumpeter, Kenny Dorham.
had to be in the key of C, though. That's right. No, it We're only playing <laughs> in C today, bro. I actually did play it in C, but I used the capo. Just <laughs> hey. Uh, back oh, to the last my goodness. Episode. The Brazilian capo, the Bra- right? It's yeah. a, no, play it, in the, play it in the key of A. Why not? You know, you get all those nice uh, open strings with that sound. And uh, yeah, mm. there's, I mean, also, I know we're playing, John, you got your box, and, and, but there's something about the nylon string when you're playing Brazilian music that, like, it just brings that quality to the, mm-hmm. the tone. Um, yeah, man. I, um, my first guitar teacher, Chris Wilson, who, um, Perry, I think you, maybe yeah. you got to meet, I can't yeah. remember, but yeah. he's a great classical guitar player and he loved Jobim. He loved Brazilian music, but he also was not really comfortable with jazz. He didn't own an electric guitar. He just totally was one of these old school classical guitar teachers that yeah. was like the guitar teacher in town. And I remember being really into Jobim's music when I was very young, but I also hadn't made the connection, um, that it was, uh, that it was related to jazz, and also Luis Bonfa, Joao Bosco, um, Joao Gilberto, yeah. Mil- Milton Nascimento, Ivan right. Lins, all of these f- phenomenal Brazilian musicians. Yeah. Um, you know, and just to kind of move along here in the episode, because it's so fun talking about all these tunes. Um, I'm also curious, just real quick, what are some jazz standards that you guys like to play? Um, with a samba feel or a bossa nova feel, because some some tunes lend themselves better um, than others, and then mm-hmm. there's some tunes that are very commonly called in that. So, curious, Perry, what's a what's a standard that you like to do sometimes in this? Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I don't usually do a lot of them that way, but I remember you know the foundation for us when we were coming up in L.A hanging with the great John Pazana, who we've mentioned a few times in this episode, he would always like to play Body and Soul as a bassa, mm-hmm. which I thought was really nice. Uh, sometimes I like taking tunes that traditionally have a bassa samba feel during the A sections, and then they go to swinging at like the bridges. I like to just play those tunes all the way through, like a straight bassa or samba. Uh, I'll remember April as one. that's a fun tune to just kind of groove that way on throughout the whole song as opposed to switching to a swing feel on the bridge. I was never really a fan of doing that Mm -hmm. on tunes. I just like to kind of keep that feel consistent, you know. Do you you remember when uh, we were at USC and Horace Silver came to Newman Hall? Do you remember that? Yeah, that's that's taking it back, but yeah, I think so. So he did a little Q&A and our old buddy Greg Swiller, the bass player, asked him, he said, hey, listening back to your records where you go bossa swing, bossa swing on tunes like, you know, I think he meant Song for My Father, which doesn't, but other tunes like that. And what he said in the clinic was he was like, oh, yeah, he said, you know, the record companies liked us doing a little bit of bossa and then going back to swing, but a lot of us weren't really into it. When we played the tunes like Green Dolphin Street or whatever, we would just play it through all swung or all as a bossa that's really interesting yeah i mean he and i agree i mean i don't i don't like going back and forth between them so if i do a tune like green dolphin street i'm gonna play the whole thing either one way or or the other um i've even done tunes like triste um not as a bossa but just swung because they're just they have such a nice phrasing to the melody just to mix it up but um yeah curious will do you have any that come to mind that you enjoy playing with that style Yes, but I, I kind of got diverted when you brought up Horace Silver. I mean, like, so perfect example of what you were just talking about, like Nika's dream, right? <laughs> right. Um, and I'm, maybe I'm 
venturing out of the bossa thing a little bit, mm-hmm. but I mean, just some ways. And it's really funny now that you say that he basically said, yeah, we just did that because the record company told us to. Because now it's kind of like that happens a lot when you play a tune, a tune like Nika's Dream. Um, but even just adding a little Cuban thing into it, I mean, that's totally a, a common thing is like kind of putting in those Montunos. But I'm di- I'm totally digressing. So no, I'm going to play great, bl- Blue Bossa as a swing. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> I'm going to do uh, Someday My Prince Will Come, which kind of is inevitably, it's like, how could you not hear that as a Bossa, right? Um second half <laughs> no. I, I yeah. think that's the thing is anything melodic can arguably really work well in a, a bossa context yeah so. or some some tunes I find are a little weird to do you know more, as we get more into the jazz standard like we on our episode for those who haven't listened to it we did an episode on jazz standards and also on the Great American Songbook and a lot of songbook tunes are played that way and as Perry you mentioned vocalists often will say hey I, I like playing this with a straight feel and part of playing a casual set often involves switching between, all right, well, let's do something in three or let's do a bossa. And, you know, it's I've always tried to keep track of what I feel like are tunes that work better. A tune like All or Nothing at All, I really like playing that yeah. as a bossa nova. All the things you are. And it is interesting playing Someday My Prince Will Come in four. Um, I like playing that tune in four. Like Grant Green recorded it on Born to be Blue as kind of a medium-up tune yeah. in 4-4, in four, four, which was kind of cool. Yeah, it's nice as a bossa. It's kind of like Someday My Brazilian Will Come. I know you're waiting, Well, I know you're waiting for a Brazilian one day. Oh, my goodness. No comment. Are you on Brazilian Mingle? Is that? No, no. No comment. <laughs> no comment. Yeah, we're all taken. Uh, but, you know, hey, uh, as we're winding down the episode, I'd love to give our listeners some tips when they're learning this style of music. And I've got three things I'd like to just share when I'm teaching people how to play some of these patterns. And I'm curious if uh, what everyone else has to say Um but Perry, you mentioned it actually right off the bat when you played today. When it comes to the bass note, yeah. I feel it's really important to not double that and to try to get that as really on, as we think in American beats, one, beats one and three. And if we think of it as samba, we're thinking of it as beats one and two. So one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. Because um, it just grooves a lot harder. And you hear a lot of younger players when they're playing these patterns, they're, they're syncopating the bass a lot. And um, the Nelson Faria book talks a lot about practicing keeping your bass not syncopated unless you're specifically doing patterns like Partido Alto, uh, all their variations, which have a syncopated bass line. Um, So that's something I've had to work a lot on to get that control. Because the faster I play... tried to really control the bass note with that. So that's one thing that I've worked hard on. 
Um, yeah. And just a couple other things too, practicing staying in one pattern for a duration. So that partito alto pattern. And really forcing yourself to stay in one pattern. you with your time feel and it's going to help you with control with your bass and chord movement and lastly learning some of the actual names of these patterns such as that one partito alto right. and learning that there's three voicings going on there's the upper voicing the middle voicing and the bass and the masterful brazilian guitarists and like my buddy chico pinheiro man you listen to that guy play rhythm mm -hmm. guitar and listen to the control he has in the right hand with what part of the voicing is being played So you might have to experiment with like your pinky finger in the right hand, which is pretty uncommon. I don't use pinky a ton in the right hand. And also experimenting with your nail length because when your nails yes. are a little longer, you get a better tone on all the box, whether it's a jazz box, nylon string, or steel string. So those are three tips I've got. And uh, Perry, do you have anything to add to those or other tips for listeners? Well, also listening to um, Romero La Bamba. I think he's one of the the great uh, sort of nylon string Brazilian guitar players uh, of today. Uh, I don't know if I have any other tips, but I think really so much of it's coming from the right hand and learning these bassa and samba patterns give us a chance as a guitar player to sort of separate what you're doing with the thumb and what you're doing with the fingers. It's kind of like some independence there, almost the way a drummer would deal with doing something different with their feet and something different with their hands. That's kind of what we're trying to capture in the right hand. So, uh, yeah, it's a fascinating style to dive into as a guitar player. Yeah, yeah. Will, any other tips? Yeah. You talked about muting the chords also and getting more sure, rhythmic right. thing, playing with a pick. Curious <clears throat> what your thoughts on any of those are. So, in a lot of contexts, actually, this type of comping might be a little invasive, right, for, for the group. Like, even if it's just a quartet, you know, if you've got mm -hmm. a bassist and you've got a pianist or you've got a saxophone player. So, I mean, even just thinking of your quarter note... Mm -hmm. Just upbeats. Like, I'm basically just isolating a piece of what you were doing. But realistically, in a rhythm section, that kind of might be more the thing that you need. Mm. Um, or even with single notes. Anticipating on beat four is a very common thing. Yes. You know, a lot of, you look at these, like if you look at a melody like Shega uh, de Saudaji, it's almost all upbeat eighth notes. So we have to become really fluent with just existing on like the upbeats mm -hmm. and only really playing those. Or, you know, that's so, you'll just hear that stuff all the time. So. Yeah. Those are some good, some good uh, practical ideas. 
yeah, I can't wait for us to talk about rhythm guitar in a future episode that's going to be coming up. We're going to probably talk a lot about rhythm guitar over the course of this whole season. But elements of listening and fitting into a rhythm section are so key when we're a guitar player. Um, and in many cases, when we're playing in this style, we're providing a lot of harmony and a lot of the rhythm. We're really a drummer and like a harmonic drummer going on at the same time, you know. So, yeah, it's super fun to delve into this music. And for our listeners out there, there's a lot of recordings you can check out, as we've mentioned, and uh, experiment with some of the tunes that are common, like Girl from Ipanema and Wave, but also dive a little deeper because some of the other artists that you might uncover, other than Jobim, like Joao Bosco, uh, Milton Nascimento, have written some amazing tunes, which all work great on guitar, mm -hmm. uh, which is great for us. You know, It's a, cor a little corner of jazz that really does lend itself well to the guitar in many ways. So yeah, man, Brazilian music, it's so much fun. And uh, again, we just want to appreciate everybody for joining us for this episode today, our Patreon subscribers. Um, be sure to head on over there if you'd like to see the uh, video footage of us playing today. In addition to some other materials we've been putting up now and then, Thank you to our new subscribers. We've reached our goal for our uh, first uh, our, our first goal that we've set for Patreon. So be sure to check out what we store um, put up on there with some new video content this week. So thank you guys so much for joining us uh, here on the High Action Podcast for some Brazilian music today. Yeah, next week this is going to be rhythm versus lead. So get ready. We're coming out hot next week. Rhythm versus lead. <laughs> Place your bets on who's going to win. <laughs> <laughs>